All right. Um, so I am not a, normally I don't preach from one verse. So this is going to be interesting. But uh, there's a reason why I'm, 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 I'm doing this verse and you will see it very clearly. I always say that the verses in the Bible that we are most familiar with, we know them the least and we obey them less. And so, uh, as we look at this, at, at this verse, you will see what I'm talking about. And it's Romans 8.28. I have asked the guys at the back there to just have the verses up here as usual as I talk. So just look at, the, at this verse and Romans 8.28. And it begins with, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, this is surely not a new verse to most of you. It's one of the best known verses in the Bible. In fact, uh, many Christians of many ages and many places have found comfort from this verse. Somebody said it has been like uh, a pillow on which people rest their weary heads. You know, it's, it's just a, a verse that whenever you come to church a lot, you won't even have to memorize it. You kind of just know it by osmosis. You know, it just kind of gets into you. Romans uh, 8.28. But it has also been abused and misused because of how people misunderstand this verse. So I want to go through this verse very slowly and very clearly, so that you know uh, what this verse really means and why it's an encouragement to us to help us to trust God even when life does not make sense. I've heard people giving testimonies of how they got into an accident and uh, their car was totaled, it was an old car, and the insurance people gave them money and they bought a new car. And at the end of that ordeal, they quote this verse. That you see, everything works for good for those who love God and are called according to, their, uh, to his purpose. And then I've also seen people in relationships. They were in a very bad relationship and somehow they got out of it and they got into their current relationship and they look back at the girl or the guy that they were dating the loser that he was or she was, and they look at the wonderful princess or prince that they are married to, and they say, you see, everything works for good for all who love God and are called to his purpose, according to his purpose. Or someone gets fired or laid off from work, and then in the course of this firing, they get a better job, they earn more money, they build a bigger house, and their life is better than it was in the other job. And then somebody comes and tells them, you see, God works for good to those who love him. Now the question I have about those who get uh, this verse in this way is this. What about those who get into accidents and don't make it out of it? Is God still good? What about those who get out of relationships and they live single for the rest of their life? Is God still good? What about the people that get laid off of work and they struggle to make ends meet because they can't find another job? 
is God still good in these situations? And, that, and this, is, this is how sometimes carelessly, innocently, knowingly or unknowingly, we take the Bible and we apply it to our specific experiences and then we preach it as if that is what the author of that verse intended for it to say in the first, in the first place. And the way that we interpret this verse can communicate to people that God is only work for good, uh, God only works for good when the outcome of our experiences or circumstances are favorable. It even affects the way that we interpret other parts of the Bible. Now let me give you an example of a story in the Bible that uh, people go to as a reference to this verse. The story of Joseph. So Joseph is a, a handsome young man with a coat of many colors. His brothers don't like him. They sell him or they put him in a pit. They sell him to the Ishmaelites who sell him to a guy called uh, Potiphar. And he's a servant in Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, his wife accuses him for a crime that he didn't commit. So he ends up in prison. And then in prison... He helps two Egyptian prisoners who forget him. And two years later, something happens and he becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt. And then we come and say, you see uh, what has happened here? And we have even very clever uh, titles for that sermon, from the pit to the palace, you know. And we, 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 we say things like, if you are in the pit, don't worry. That's God's highway to the palace. And so we give people false uh, hope from the Bible. And out of the story of Joseph, you know what they get out of it? The physical prosperity of Joseph. From the pit to Potiphar's house to prison Pharaoh's palace. You see the alliterations? If, if it's all peace, it's true, you know. <laughs> no, it's not. Now, if, if, if this is not the way to interpret this story or this verse, then how do we do it? You know, I, I, I always tell people that the, the, the way that some of us preach we preach as if the problem of mankind is wealth and health, money and economy, politics. You know, we, we tell people, come to God and your problems will be gone. Come to God and you're going to be healthy and wealthy. Come to God and, you know, if, if, if somebody said it very well, if man's problem was money, God would have sent an economist. If man's problem was material wealth, God have sent an, an, an investor to save us from our poverty. But you know what? Our problem is sin. So God sent a savior to save us from our sin. Now, at the end of the story of Joseph, I want you to get it. Because most people that preach the story from the pit to the palace, they don't really get the point of the story, which is very clear in the story itself. In the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20, the brothers of Joseph come, and uh, Joseph's dad has died, and the brothers are thinking that uh, 
Now Joseph is going to kill us. And Joseph tells them this. You, my brothers, intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. What is the word? The saving of many lives. Are you seeing that? It wasn't just uh, that, 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 that Joseph is going to become the king of Egypt. And, and most people preach Joseph's ascendance to the palace as an end to this story. But it was a means to something bigger. And the, the, the something bigger here is the saving of many lives. So the question is, does this now change the way that you look at Romans 8.28? I hope it does. Let me, let me give you the context of this verse. Because you, you can't really preach one verse without giving context. So I have a, a, a diagram here that I want you to look at. And it's uh, the division of the book of Romans. And I, wa- I, want to, I want you to see that this one verse is in the middle of a context of, the, of a whole book of Romans. And the, the book of Romans is uh, a book that Paul wrote. I told you a few weeks ago that uh, this is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. And, uh, and people say, so all the books are favorite books in the Bible. Yes, they are. Whatever book I'm preaching uh, uh, at that particular point is my favorite book in the Bible because they are all awesome. Now, Paul writes this, this letter, and uh, the, the, the theme of this book is the righteousness of God. And it is divided into four major divisions. Now, depending on what commentary you, you look at, they, they will call these uh, divisions different things, but most of them, this is very close. And I want you to look at the, at the first eight verses. Now, okay, the, the, the big divisions is uh, plan of salvation, one to eight, Israel, nine to 11, and then application. Therefore, you know, uh, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, begins the, the section on application in chapter 12, and then 15 and 16, conclusion. But I want you to notice something, that our verse is in the context of chapter 8, verse 18 to 39. And in that context, the major theme there is glorification or future presence. So what this tells me, that whatever I am going to be talking about this verse, it is not something happening in the present, but it is something that is happening for us in the future that encourages, encourages us in the present. This is a very comforting place. Amen? Does that make sense? In other words, Romans 8, 28 is in the context talking about our future glory. And I'm going to expound a little bit on it so that you can see this very clearly. Now, Paul starts Romans 8, 28 by saying, we know and we know. So this is not, it's not a contrast. It's not but we know. It's and we know. It continues a thought that Paul has started. And it says this. We know that in all things, God is working. Now, the, the idea here of we know is that the truth stated in this verse 
is one not to be denied. It is certain. There is a, a, a preacher, I think most of you know him, he's dead now, Adrian Rogers, who said that this is not conjecture, it is not happenstance, it, it is not perhaps, it is not even a maybe, this is ironclad certainty that we know that all things work together for good. It is not a hope, not a vague opinion. It is certainty. That the assumption here is that if you are a believer, that this is something that you know. But I want you to look at the verses before here. So in verse 26, it says, we do not know how to pray as we ought to. In verse 27, but the Spirit knows. Therefore, because he knows, he intercedes for us. So we don't know the things that God is doing in the spiritual realm. We don't know how we ought, even a simple thing like prayer. We don't know how to pray as we ought to. But the Spirit knows and the Spirit prays for us. But in verse 28, there is something that we do know. That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let me ask you a question. If this assumption is true, do you know that God causes all things to work for good? Is that something that you are certain about? That everything that happens in your life, that God works for good. Now, let me define the good here before we, we get crazy, okay? Uh, because Christians are very creative in getting crazy with God's word. So let's be on the same page here. Let's define the good. When, when Paul is saying that, uh, 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 that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, w- what is this good that Paul is talking about? About here. The good that Paul is talking about in the context here is eschatological. Now, eschatological, when you hear the word eschatology, those are the things of the last days. So, this good that is happening here, it is not a good for now, it is a good for the future, but it is good because knowing that good of the future helps us live a certain way now. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. This is because the good will be evident and fully realized only at the end time. It is, it is the knowledge of this good. And, and I, 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 wanna, I don't want my lack of English here to confuse things. I want you to get it. That it, it is the knowledge of what Psalm 100 is saying, that our, the Lord is our God the Lord is good, is the creator of all things. We are the sheep of his pasture. This good, the good that is talked about here, the good that's going to happen at the end of lifetime. This knowledge of this good is what fortifies us with courage in facing any situation in the present. Amen? That I, I, can, I can come here and tell you Four steps on how to be a solid believer, it won't help you. So at some point, it's just going to crumble somewhere. But if we are solid in God's goodness and understand what God is doing in everything that happens in our lives, then we can say this. 
the knowledge of this good is the reason why believers can trust God even when life does not make sense. Because we know that God is working. That through the messes and the chaos of life, that God is at work. And he's working for your good. Amen? He's working for your good. And let me say, tell you what this good is. I've been t- telling you that I'm going to tell you what this good is and I haven't told you yet. According to the, to, the, to the context of this verse, the good here is verse 29. What is God doing? That in verse 29, God is conforming me to the likeness of Christ. So everything that is happening in the world, all the bad things that are happening to you, all the trials and temptation and the evil of the world, God is using that. And he's orchestrating that to use it to bring you and to make you look more like his son, Jesus Christ. Difficult circumstances are used by God to change us from what we are by nature to what God intends for us to be. Because by nature, we are not leaning towards God. God has to force us to lean us towards him. And you know what? When life is going good, most of us will admit that we did not become solid Christians. We did not become prayerful believers. We did not become uh, uh, the Christians that we are right now through good times. It is those bad times that come to your life, the sicknesses, the deaths, the trials and the temptation that br- bring you close to God. And it's these difficult circumstances that God has used in your life to change you from what you are by nature to what God intends for you to be. So I want to, now that we are on the same page here about this good that we're talking about, I want to point to three observations that I've seen in this verse. Okay, are you ready? Are we still together? Say yes. Thank you. I like uh, response when when I talk to people. Okay, so three observations that I've made here. And I want you to write down if you're writing. All things don't work for good for all people. Observation number one. All things don't work for good for all people, number one. Number two, all things work for good because God is in control. And then number three, all things are not good, but all things work for good. You're looking at me like, say that again. I'm going to say it again. Don't worry. So we're going to go step by step, and I'm going to explain them. So the, the first one. All things don't work for good for all people. Let me explain that. Friends, God is at work for the good of his people. God works in all things for the good of those who love God. And this is a very necessary limitation. That salvation, that that, that Jesus' death and Jesus' uh, powers to save transcends the, the, the whole world. It goes, the invitation is for everyone. For God so loved what? The world. And God loves everyone. But there are people that are called God's people. Those who love God. That they, they, they have a special relationship with God. 
To the ones who love God, all things work for good. The point is that all things don't work for good for all people. It is the ones who love God that all things work for good. Now, let me explain this. There's an idea in the Bible that, that, that comes all the way from Genesis to Revelation. There are people that are always called my people by God. And if you are in the my people category, the blessings of God are on you. If you are in the people that are against God, when the blessings come, they leave you behind. Now let me just give you a, a small example. There's a guy called Moses, gets to a country called Egypt, hanging out with a king called Pharaoh. And then there is stones raining from heaven. And you know what? The my people, part of the town, was not affected by darkness, by stones, by death, because the blood of the lamb was on the cross. My people. Are we together? God has, this is what he calls my people. And there's a verse that you know very well. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. My people. Now, in the Old Testament, my people were Israel. Now, in the book of John, Jesus comes and he says, I came to my people, or my own, and my people, my own, did not receive, receive me, but to all who received me, I gave them the right to become children of God. Now, guess who now is part of the my people? You and I. We, if you are saved, are now called God's person because you have accepted uh, God's gift of his son by faith. And so now we are his people. But to all the rest, things do not work out for good. Romans 8, 1, uh, 1 verse 18. Let me read this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, surpass, who suppress the truth, of, uh, the, the, the truth in righteousness. Friend, if you're not saved, I have bad news for you. Things don't work out for your good. But here's the good news. God loves you. God loves you. A lot. And he wants you to get into a relationship with him. So that he can start conforming you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And I know that that, that is really difficult to digest. How can a God who is holy and perfect love me, a sinner? Trust me, he does. I still, saved as I am, don't really understand why God loves me. So if you are confused, let's be confused together. But come, up, come at the end of the service, hang out with some of the pastors and the elders here, or even myself, and I can show you, we can show you, how this loving God can really love you and save you from Scripture and make you to become his son and his child. Because he loves you. He loves you. And sometimes I think we, we, we are so used to looking at things 
uh, things are good with this guy, so maybe God is on his side. No. No matter how good things may seem for you, if you don't love God, he is not for you. If you are not part of his people, he is not for you. God's good is only enjoyed by God's people. God's people who are called according to God's purpose. The conformity of these people to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. I want you to think of this question. Christians, are you here Christians? I want you to think of this question with me. Romans 8.32 When you are in the, in the whole thinking that God has abandoned you, and God doesn't love you, and God does not think of you, and you're thinking, why me, why me? I want you to think of this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all, how will he not also, together with him, freely give us all things? This is the, good, the, the God that is good. This is the God that is your God. That you can rest in assurance that God loves you. And no matter what happens to you in this world, he is for you. That God loves you and God is working for your good. Amen? So number one, all things don't work for good for all people. Only for people who love God. Number two, all things work for good because God is in control. All things work for good because God is in control. Now, let me, let me just say this, because sometimes I think people have had the idea that uh, uh, things that are happening in the world are happening by chance. Now, if you are a Christian and you think that way, let me redirect your thinking a little bit. That things don't just happen in this world. God is in control. We know that God does work. We know that God is at work in our lives. All things do not just work in and of themselves automatically and end up in a pattern of good. No, that's a lie. There is a God somewhere, Yahweh, and he is in control, and he orchestrates everything that happens here. It is the sovereign guidance of God that is directing the forces behind all the events that happen in your life. As Christians, John Stott says this, as Christians, we know for sure that our God is ceaselessly, energetically, and purposefully active on our behalf. Can you imagine that? You know, I remember when I was a, a little kid, and we had a problem uh, uh, of being sent home all the time for school fees, and I will come home, and I will come to my father, and I will tell my, my father, I need school fees. And once I put all my burdens of school fees at the feet of my father, I will go to bed, and I will sleep like a little baby that I was. And I'll wake up in the morning, and I will not even worry about school fees. What I don't know is my father was up ceaselessly, actively, energetically working for my good to get the school fees so I can go back to school. And if you're a parent, you know that. You know that. 
when did you start loving your children? When you took that picture that looks like an alien, you know, and you just loved it, and you began to love this person, you named him, you loved him, you prepared his room for him, he wasn't even there. And so if this guy needs some pocket money to go with his friends to the movies, you can tell them, before you were, I loved you. I cared for you. And when I leave, everything I have is going to be yours. Amen? That is what God does. And I think that God gives us children so that we can understand how a father's love is. Because until then, we really just are trying to guess our way through lives, life. God is at work. Life may seem to be a random mess, but it is not. God's at work. Amen? Now, let me, let me tell you a story. On November 1st, 2010, my wife and I were sitting in the office of a fertility doctor in North Carolina being told that our chances of conceiving was 1% to zero. We were hoping for better news than this, but that was not the case. So you can imagine the gloom and the doom in the days, weeks, and months to come. And uh, my wife, being the holy uh, person in our home, she is, I, I am not the holy one, she is the holy one. I, I, I went into a deep depression, I, I, I became sad, I pitied myself, and she went to God in prayer. And she wrote in a prayer journal, God, even now, if there is a baby being born somewhere in the world and being abandoned, bring him, him or her to us. On that day, November 1st, 2010. Now, unbeknownst to us, on this same day, and we are thinking around the same time that we were in the hospital, there was a baby boy being born somewhere in a small village in central Kenya. A baby whose mother, for reasons we will never know, abandoned him and left him for dead. We were worlds apart, but God was working for both our good, his good and our good. And God was closing our womb, but as he was closing our womb, he was opening our home for this boy, for this baby that was in need of a father and a mother. And I'll tell you this, friends, there is no coincidence in life. All things work for good because God is in control. God is in control. All things work for good because God is in control. It is God who made everything, Psalm 100 tells us. It is God who sustains it all. It is God who controls everything. The universe, friends, does not function automatically. There is a God who decides when the sun goes down and the sun, sun comes up. The ocean comes to the shore and the, it doesn't come over the shore. And we who live on the coast are very thankful for that. The universe is under the sovereign control of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Hebrews 1, 3 says. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And he is the radiance of his glory. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God 
and the exact representation of his nature. And Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. And everything that happens in the world, Jesus is in control. God is in control. Amen? Aren't you glad that that is true? That nothing just happens by chance. So, all things don't work for good for all people. All things work for good because God is in control. And then finally, all things are not good, but work for good. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 16, 33. All things are not good, but work for good. Jesus, the Son of God, who wept when Lazarus died, even to him, the Savior of this world, there was bad things happening to his friends. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. But in this world, you, my friends, I want you to to, to underline that, that word in the Bible. If somebody tells you that this world is it, that you're going to get your best life now, just take them to this verse. The Bible says very clearly, in this world, you will have trouble. Can you just say that with me? I will have trouble. You say like you don't believe it. Okay, let's do this. I will have trouble. But, take heart, here's the good news. Jesus has overcome the world. I am so happy when I read these verses. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, let me just read this. It's just so encouraging. You don't even need to preach it, you just say it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only in this, not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was, who has, who was, who was given to us. Amen? Such encouraging words. Friends, in this world, we'll have trouble. I have been a pastor for a long time. And I'll tell you, I have seen death. I have seen wrecked marriages. I have seen a wife that has been beat by their husband with a bottle on their head. And they were, they, their skull cracked 11 stitches later. And we are sitting there. And I don't know what to tell this woman. I have sat in a hospital bed with a woman who went into the hospital to give birth and came back empty-handed because their child died. And not only one, but two. Not only two, but three. Not only three, but four children of this same woman in my church dying. In this world, friends, will have trouble. But, take heart. God has overcome the world. All things are not good, but all things are working together for our good. Good things, bad things, trials, troubles, tribulation, illnesses, accidents, disappointments, even failures. God can make all things, and he does make all things to ultimately work for our good. 
I'm going to read you a story here of a man called Billy. Billy was diagnosed with a brain tumor at the age of 35. He played college baseball, married his sweetheart, and fathered two handsome sons. Convinced of the truth of Romans 8:28, he chose to believe God had a good plan for his bad cancer. Because Billy believed God could use even something as destructive as a brain tumor, he responded in faith and trust. And he said to his family, even though this is not what I planned for my life, I trust God to use it for good. His unshakable faith and peace was so profound that the church leaders asked him to share his stories at a men's event. Billy agreed. Then he invited his younger brother, Jack, to go with him. You see, Jack had never accepted Billy's invitation to any church stuff. But this time, he said yes. When Billy finished telling his story, the pastor invited attendees to come forward if they wanted to know how to have a relationship with God. Jack was the first Billy's brother out of his seat. I've always thought Billy's faith was a crutch, Jack said. But watching him go through three surgeries chemotherapy, and radiation made me realize what he had was real, and I wanted it. Billy didn't survive his battle with cancer, but because he chose to respond in faith and trust, many people, including his younger brother, came to know Jesus as their savior. Billy's cancer wasn't good, but God used it for good to make him more like Christ, and to draw others into a faith relationship with himself. So you see, even though all things are not good, but God can use them for good. Amen? And uh, I want to finish by saying this. What was the ultimate evil, the ultimate bad in the world? It was the crucifixion, the torture, the killing of the innocent Son of God, Jesus Christ. That was the, if you ask me what the, 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 the biggest evil in the world is, I would say that, that, is, that, is, that is it. That the Son of God should be rejected by man, crucified on the cross, between two robbers, for a crime he did not commit. And he died on that cross and was buried. But on the third day, he came back to life. Then you ask me, what is the greatest good that ever happened in the life of mankind? The torture, the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want you to, from now on, when you think of this verse, that God can take what is really bad and evil and turn it around and use it for our good, the saving of many souls, conforming us to the image of his son. And one day, when it's all over, we're going to go to a place where there is no pain, where there is no tears, where there is no sickness, where there is no death. Christians 
this is why we suffer as we do and do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, because of that, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen here on earth is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we have spoken the words of God in the tongues of man. And Father, I know that uh, we have been blessed each in his own way, that our need as we sit before you are not the same. I pray that you take your word and like a seed plant it in the hearts of your people. And Lord, I pray that at the end of this service, that your people will think of you more than they did before they came in here. That their, 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 their opinion of Jesus has been radically altered because, Lord, you ultimately have suffered more than anything that we go through today. And you can sympathize with our suffering. But we know that at the end of it all, that we will be more than conquerors because of you. And so, Father, we, as we wrap up this service and sing and finish it up, I pray that as we go out, as we go out uplifted, we go out encouraged, knowing that, knowing that in all things that you are working for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And that purpose to conform us to the image of your son. And one day in glory, that image will be complete and perfect. And for that we thank you and ask all this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.